All right, well, good evening. It's good to see you all again. This is the third time I've been up here, and uh, each time it's been a blessing. Um, I'll keep praying for your pastor, hoping that he uh, recovers soon and gets better and gets through that. It's a rough thing to go through. I know it's hard for him to not be here, and so it's a blessing to be able to come up here and just to fill in and try to help out and do something for the Lord, and so... Let's pray before we get started, and then I'll kind of get into what I got for you. Father, we just come before you today, Lord, thankful to be able just to come out of the world, Lord, and get around your people, Lord, and at church here, Father, and, and just get into your words, Father. I pray that you'd help me to be able to teach what I have here, Lord, and be clear about it, and I pray I wouldn't say anything, Lord, that'd be against your book, Lord, or against you, and so, Father, I just pray you'd help me now to be able to get this across, Lord, and I just pray you'd open people's hearts and minds, Lord. I do thank you for it. I do love you, and I pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So what I'm going to talk about tonight is eternal security. And eternal security is a subject that gets confused all the time, right? Paul says, you know, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The reason that he could say that is because he knew where he was going. And we can say that because I know where I'm going, right? A life lived for the Lord is worth it, even to the death, because I know where I'm going to end up. I don't have to worry about it. And eternal security gets mixed up by so many different denominations and it cripples them, right? You look at Calvinists, you know, they'll say, well, you're predestined one way or the other. And so there's no reason to go out and witness, no reason to talk to people, just sit at the house and, you know, wait for the Lord to come back for me to die. You know, all that stuff is, it's silly because that's not what the Bible says, right? The Bible doesn't tell you that there's a purgatory. There's not a purgatory, right? All these different things that are taught time and time again, are wrong and it's a shame that that kind of stuff is taught so if you turn with me to first thessalonians 5 23 we're going to turn to a lot of different pieces of scripture tonight what i'm going to try to do is you know you probably already know this stuff but it's good to refresh and go over it and uh, to just look at it and so what i'm going to try to accomplish here is to show you why you're eternally secure Right? What part of a man is saved? What part of him is born again? Right? All those different things matter. They matter when it comes down to it. You know, some people will just believe it. They'll believe it if somebody says, well, you can know where you're going to go when you die. They can show them one verse and they'll just latch onto that, right? These things have written unto them that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's a common one. And it's absolutely a fact. And there's other people that you got to convince and you got to talk to and you got to work with and say, listen, here's the verses. Here's why. Take them back to the Old Testament and explain it. And so on Wednesday night, I think you all probably generally do Bible study. And so that's what we're going to try to do tonight is just go through this. And hopefully I can make sense of it by the end. And uh, and the Lord will come down and get, meet with us here and do something with it. But a First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see how he says that there, your spirit, your soul, and your body. So man is a trinity. Turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Man is a trinity. And you know, when I was a boy, my dad told me my whole life, my dad would tell me, son, you're made, you're made in the image of God my whole entire life. And I'd be like, so you mean... What do you mean by that? You know, does God look like a man? And my dad would always tell me, yeah, God looks, looks like, he looks like a man. You know, he's got fingers and toes and stuff and just like you are. And so I believed that my entire life until I got older and I got saved and started looking into it and realizing that, well, let's look at verse 126 here and it'll make more sense. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So he says, let us make man in our image. Turn to Genesis chapter two, verse seven. And it says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. We're in the image of God in the sense that we're a body, soul, and a spirit. We're a three-part being, right? An animal is a two-part being, right? An animal doesn't have a soul, right? It has a spirit. It's alive, and it has a body. But an animal doesn't have a soul. You see, we have a soul. You see, God's made up in three parts as well, right? 
God is a trinity, right? We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, God's a trinity also. But God is, right? The Bible says that he's a spirit and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. God doesn't look like a man does. Jesus Christ does, right? He's manifest in the flesh. And so we look at that verse there, we see the body, the soul, and the spirit. So you're formed of the dust of the ground, your body. You breathe into your nostrils the breath of life, right? The spirit of man. And man becomes a living soul. And so let's look at 1 John chapter 5. Verse 7. First John chapter 5, verse 7. I like eternal security. Eternal security, I think, is a huge part of the Christian life, especially a successful Christian life, right? Because you're thankful for what the Lord's done for you. I'm not up here because I have to be, right? I don't go out and witness because I have to. I don't do anything because I have to. I do it because the Lord did something for me, and I'm thankful for it. And I know where I'm going and I'm looking forward to seeing him. I'm looking forward to the judgment seat of Christ. I'm looking forward to meeting him. And without eternal security, without me knowing for sure where I'm going to end up and where I'm going to go, it wouldn't be that way, right? Because how else would it be? You'd be trying to work your way there, right? It's like in the Old Testament. You'd be, am I good enough, right? Is my good deeds that way? My bad deeds and that whole deal, sweating it out. And you know, we don't have to do that. And that's something we all should be really, really thankful for and something that we should really think about. And it's something that's important to study for the reason is not only for yourself, for your own Christian life, but to be able to help other people and explain to them. Because it's not, you know, it seems like it's a simple subject if you've been in church your whole life, but it's not a simple subject. There's a lot to eternal security, and we'll see that more as we go through here. First uh, John chapter 5, verse 7 says, For there are three that bear record, bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So we see that God is a trinity and we're made in that image, like I was explaining before. So let's turn to Mark chapter 8, verse 36. And if you want to grab Luke chapter 9, verse 25, Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and Luke chapter 9, verse 25. We're going to compare these two verses. Luke chapter 8, verse 36. I mean, Mark chapter 8, verse 36 and Luke chapter 9. Verse 25, I apologize. It's been a, it's been a long day. Pastor John called me at 1.30 and was like, hey, would you be able to go up to Washington? And I was like, yeah. And so, uh, you know, it was like kind of a rush. I got off work at 4.30, and so if I seem disorganized, I apologize. And I don't mean it. Luke chapter 9, verse 25. So let's look at uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 36 first. It says, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? That's a fairly common verse, right? Everyone's heard that verse before. Um, The verse that's less common is Luke chapter 9, verse 25. It says, For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? So if you notice, the word soul is replaced with himself when Luke talks about it. Why is that? The reason that that is, is because your soul, the soul is the real you. That's you, right? And the soul is the part of you that gets saved, right? And so we're going to look more into that as we move forward. But if you look at Job chapter 10, verse 11, you're going to see something else here. Job is a great book as well. Now, there's a lot of wisdom in the book of Job, some of the stuff that comes out of this book is life-changing. Job chapter 10, verse 11. The Bible says, Thou hast clothed me with skin and flesh, and hast fenced me with bones and sinews. You notice how he says that? Thou hast clothed me with skin and flesh, and hast fenced me with bones and sinews. What is he saying there? He's saying that there's a skin covering and there's bones and all that for his soul. Right? Your soul is in the shape of your actual body. And we're going to see that here in a minute. Um, but let's turn to Leviticus chapter 5, verse 2. So there's no doubt that when a man is lost, that your soul and your body are connected. Um, there's no doubt about that. Right? When you, the reason that a man goes to hell is because he sins, right? And that taints his soul, and therefore the Lord's not going to be in the presence of sin, and he ends up in hell. 
And that's how that works. That's how that happens. But something's different for somebody that's born again. And so what we're going to look into here is what is different? Where is the difference made there? So let's look at Leviticus chapter 5, verse 2. Um, let's, we can just start in verse one and it says, and if a soul sin and hear the voice of swearing and is a witness, whether he hath seen or known of it, if he do not utter it, then he shall bear his iniquity. Or if a soul touch any unclean thing, whether it be a carcass of an unclean beast or a carcass of unclean cattle or the carcass of unclean creeping things. And if it be hidden from them, he shall also be unclean and guilty. We don't have that same commandment. Right? Or you'll find that nowhere in the New Testament where it tells you that you can't touch, touch something that's been killed, right? Strangled, torn apart, any of that stuff. And so, there's something different. When we get born again, something changes. Turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. <clears throat> and we're gonna see what changes here. Colossians chapter 2. All right, Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he hath quickened together with him blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And you see, if you look at verse 16, he says, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. You see what happens there is there's a spiritual circumcision that he's talking about made without hands. And you see the difference is, is that when a man gets born again, the Lord circumcises his flesh away from his soul. And that's why I can touch something that's unclean and it doesn't taint my soul. That's how I can be eternally secure and know where I'm going when I die. Because once I get saved and the Lord washes me in his blood and he makes that circumcision, I'm clean. There's nothing that can taint that my soul anymore. I can sin, of course, right? I can sin and I can do things in the flesh that's wrong and wicked, but it's not going to affect my soul in any way. And that's a huge blessing. Right In the Old Testament, they had so many more things to read through the book of Leviticus that they had to worry about. And that's a big part of the reason right there, is that those two things are connected. And so praise the Lord that he has done that for us. So we don't have to sit around and worry about everything that we touch, everything that we do, offerings, all of that stuff. And, you know, the Lord knows what he's doing. And he makes that operation, and the Bible says that then we're quickened together with him, right? We're made alive with him, right? The Bible says that the Lord can't deny himself, right? It says even if we believe not, he can't deny himself. He can't. You can get saved, and you can totally decide that you're going to live for yourself, and that you don't believe in God anymore, and you're an atheist, and you're still going to go to heaven when you die. Regardless, there's no way out of it. You know, some people are going to go kicking and screaming. Some people get saved as kids and then they just decide as an adult that they don't want to. I know when I was down in Pensacola, you go around and you knock on doors and you start talking to people and somebody say, oh, I don't, I don't believe in God. And you go, all right, that's, you know, it's, that's okay. I hate religion. Like, oh, so do I. I don't really like religion either. Well, they kind of take him back. Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And I'm like, it's not about religion. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about what you believe and yet having faith in him. And you get to talking to him and then they'll tell you something like, Oh yeah, I went down to an altar when I was a kid. You know, I grew up in a Baptist church and I was seven years old, went down to an altar and, you know, I asked the Lord to save me there, but it doesn't mean nothing. That's what they'll tell you. But what they don't realize is that one day the Lord's going to come back, right? And if they're alive, they're going with them, whether they like it or not. And so what I would say is it's not worth getting saved and then living for yourself, right? You're going to miss out on a lot of things. Salvation won't be one of them but you're going to miss out on a lot of other things. We turn to Romans chapter five, verse nine, Romans chapter five, 
verse 9. Romans chapter 5, verse 9, the Bible says, Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Right? We don't have to go to hell. We don't have to see wrath. We're not going to have to see a tribulation. We don't have to deal with any of that stuff. And I'm thankful for that. You know, I'm thankful that the Bible tells us, you know, that we're cleansed of all sin. I get happy. I get excited about that kind of stuff when I think about it. Because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be that way. When you, when you grow up in a situation where you're told that you have to work to gain your salvation and this and that and all this other stuff, it's a really relief when you realize, like, hey, I don't got to work for it. Hey, I don't have to be good enough. It's not about me being good enough. It's about Jesus Christ and his righteousness and faith in him. And that's it. It's not about me. And you know, that's the one thing that I love about the Bible and the Lord is he takes the focus off of us and puts it on his son. And that's what we ought to be looking at. That's what we ought to be focusing on and excited about. You know, we have troubles. I understand that. There's troubles in day-to-day life and people get frustrated and depressed and upset and worried and anxious and fearful and so many things that we allow to grab a hold of us, right? And steer us the wrong direction. But all you got to do is you got to just keep your eyes on him and remember like, listen, I know where I'm going. I'm excited to go. The Lord's coming back. And just keep your eyes and think about that thing and think about what the Lord's done. What is he going to do? Why did he do what he did? Right? Why did he go on? A, why, did, why would he go to a cross and die for you and me? Because he loves us. That's why. And we ought to love him. And we ought to treat him like we love him. You know, we're washed. We're clean. There's, there's so many different verses that talk about different things. I'm going to skip a few so I can get through this. But let's turn to Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty. Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty. All right. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30 says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. You're sealed. But the thing that says there, it says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. That's telling you that you can grieve him, right? You can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And when you do that, it's like slapping the Lord in the face, right? In my opinion, it's like spitting in his face on the cross. We all make mistakes. We all sin. We all do that stuff. But, you know, grieving the Holy Spirit's a different thing. Like, you're intentionally doing stuff. You know what I mean? You know is wrong. You're doing whatever you want to do, right? The Bible says to continue in sin that grace may abound, God forbid. Right? Continuing in that thing purposefully. Right? You're willingly sinning. You're willingly doing things and continuing in that. That's grieving the Holy Spirit of God. Right? The Bible talks about how we can have a conscience that's seared with a hot iron. That's how that begins. As you start going against what you know is right, and you start doing what you want to do, and you start going your own way, and then you start grieving the Holy Spirit. And we shouldn't be grieving the Holy Spirit, right? We're sealed by Him. He's the earnest that's given to us, the Bible says, right? They put an earnest, a down payment on us that the Lord's going to come back and get, and that's the Holy Spirit. It's put inside of you, in here. You see, the Lord didn't have to do everything the way that He did it. You know, Adam and Eve, they're in the garden there, and Eve sins and right. He said, you know, you shall surely die. Right. And they did die. They didn't die physically. They died spiritually. Right. Their spirit died. And the Lord didn't have to allow him a chance, humanity, a chance for redemption, but he did. He did it for us. And you know what we do? We just grieve him over and over again, doing whatever we want to do, living how we want to live, packing our big King James Bible into church on Sunday and Wednesday, acting like nothing's been going on the whole entire week and expecting the Lord to do something for you. And you know, you can't, you can't live that way. We can't live that way. And the Lord, it's not like he's not aware. And that's what I don't understand about Christians in general is like, they act like God doesn't see anything. Right. Right. It says the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. He sees everything. He sees the good things you do. He sees the bad things you do, the things that you say, right? I mean, if I'm going to give an account of every idle word that I'm going to speak, I ought to be thinking about what I'm saying, why I'm saying it and when I'm saying, right? I mean, right? How is a fool known in a multitude of words, right? So we got to be careful 
about grieving the Holy Spirit. And on that, let's go to Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10. And you say, what does this have to do with eternal security? What it has to do with eternal security is the fact that you can sin and still be saved. A person can absolutely get saved, sin, make a mistake, and continue to be saved. You know, there's a lot of people in this world that believe that that's not the case. They think that you get saved and then you have to abide in Christ sinless somehow, right? And then if you sin, then you got to get saved again, and then you got to try to abide in Christ sinless. But what they don't realize is, is they can't. How are they going to live sinless? And I've had this conversation with people before. I've said, how, how can you possibly believe that you can make it even one day, one hour, without thinking the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing? That'd be, that's, a, that's a tall order for a regular man like us. That's a tall thing. So you're going to tell me that you're going to make it years? There's some people that will tell you that. Oh, yeah, I ain't sinned in five years. How? How can you honestly believe that? But they do believe that. But you know why? Because they think that that's the way that they're going to get to heaven. Is by getting saved and then not sinning, but that's not the case. Look at Isaiah chapter 63, verse 10. It says, But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore he was turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. The Lord takes that kind of thing really serious. You know? He does. He takes that kind of thing really serious. And he'll chastise his children. You know what I mean? He tells us that. And, you know, the Lord's not sitting up in heaven with a big white beard with a stick waiting to beat the snot out of you, but he will correct you when he needs to. That's a fact. I mean, he really will. He's corrected me a time or two, going the wrong direction. And then once I start getting that correction, I know exactly where it's coming from. Like, all right, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm, I mean, I know this is probably has to continue for a bit, but I'm, I am already sorry. Like I've, I realized I made a mistake and there's a difference between sonship and fellowship, right? There's a difference between those two things. We're going to be his children no matter what. But our fellowship with him is important. And that's based upon how we live, what we do, how you spend your time. All that stuff is based upon that. And if we're constantly grieving the Holy Spirit, our fellowship is going to be pretty poor. It's not going to be very good. And I know the last thing that I want to do is need the Lord and not feel like I can reach out to him. And that's, I've been there before. I've been there before where I got saved and I knew I wasn't doing right. I knew I wasn't living right. And then I had something major happen with my daughter. And I was mad. I wasn't mad, but I was bitter, I guess, because I was the Lord. I knew the Lord wanted me to go down to Bible school. So I was quit my job and I was getting ready to go, but I wasn't happy about it. Right. I wasn't doing it the right way. I was going to go, but not in the right way. And I was real frustrated. And my daughter says, dad, I've hurting real bad in my chest, you know, and she's probably at the time, I think she was probably five or so I'm hurting real bad. I'm hurting. And I was like, Oh, you're fine. You know, she's, you know, she kind of worries too much a little bit, be a hypochondriac every now and then, right, Emma? And, uh, so I was telling her, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Well, like morning time comes around and she was laying in there with me and my wife and she starts like screaming, begging God to help her. Lord, help me. I, God help me. I don't, I'm hurting real bad. And I was like, and then she started turning blue and like her eyes started, I was like, what in the world's going on? So we scooped her up, rushed her to the hospital and we get there and the lady's like, well, her heart rate's like 180. She's really having a hard time breathing. We think she's having an anxiety attack. She's been having it for a long time. I mean, not an anxiety attack, a, uh, um, what do they call that? Asthma attack. And she's, you know, been having it for a long time. And like, so they gave her all kinds of different medicine and they ended up, it ended up working out the right way. And the Lord ended up working out some things with me through that. But it was scary. It was scary to think like, okay, I'm going to reach out and ask the Lord to do something for me, but I know that I'm not going about this with the right attitude for him. And it was a big tune up for me. It was scary, but it also made me realize is that, you know, even if I'm not doing the right thing, the Lord, he'll take care of you. He loves you, but you know what? You need to be trying to do your best to do the right thing, right? The Lord knows where your heart is. He knows what you're doing. And so let's look at Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, Ephesians chapter one, verse 13. The Bible says, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, under the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of his glory. It's just the same thing like a house, right? You put, you know, you give an earnest. You, know, you put a down payment on a house. It's the same thing. The Lord puts a down payment on us. And he's going to redeem us. And 
you know, a man is sealed the moment that he believes. You know, you have people say different things. Somebody say like, oh, you got to pray to get saved. Some other people say as soon as you accept Jesus Christ in your mind, and your heart, you get saved. All these different things, right? I know for a fact, for me, when I got saved, I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I just was sitting there. And when he read Romans 10, 9 to me, I immediately thought he's correct. He's right. Boom. And it was like the lights were turned on. And I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't get on my knees and pray. It was just boom. And then afterwards, you know, it was like, oh, I can see what the verse says there. You know, I should confess with my mouth. And so I prayed anyways. No hurt, nothing. Um, but you're sealed the moment that you believe. The Lord makes that spiritual circumcision and you're sealed. And you're going to heaven that very moment. And praise God for that. You know, you don't have to jump through a bunch of hoops. And, you know, it talks about, you know, the Bible talks about not frustrating the simplicity that's in Christ. And that is a huge problem just with Christians in general, right? Like if you want to just generalize that statement, the word Christian, right? That is a huge problem. That's a fact with everybody. And, you know, as much as I hate it, it's true. And so you're sealed the moment you believe and don't let anybody else tell you otherwise. And so let's look at uh, Romans 4, 8. I really like the book of Romans. Romans 4, 8 has got, I mean, just Romans in general has got a lot of good stuff in it. Especially when it comes to, you know, being saved by grace through faith and not works. Um, I really do appreciate the book of Romans. Romans chapter 4, verse 8. <clears throat> how long am I supposed to, uh, how long do you guys generally go? Romans chapter 4, verse 8. The Bible says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. To whom the Lord will not impute sin. Right? Look at verse 6. Even as David also, also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and their sins are covered. And then he says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. The Lord's not going to impute sin to your soul once you're born again. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you, what you've done. The Lord will save you no matter what you've done. And the Lord's not going to forsake you no matter what you do. It's true. He's not going to. And, you know, a lot of people have a hard time with that. You know, that once saved, always saved. You're giving people a license to sin. Like, that's not what we're doing. That's not what it's saying at all. That's not what it's doing. If a man chooses to abuse it and take it that way, right? And to, to continue in sin that grace may abound, God forbid, that's something that they're going to have to deal with and suffer at the judgment seat of Christ. Right? At the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says that a man will suffer loss, but yet he'll still be saved. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what suffering loss is going to be, but I don't think it's going to be good. Right? I know that there's going to be a millennial reign, and it's going to be a thousand years long. I know that much. And, you know, I want to be ruling and reigning with him like he says we can. I want to be happy and excited. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know, but you know, I don't think sorrow is a sinful thing, right? I don't want to spend a thousand years in sorrow knowing that I didn't live for him, didn't do right, right? You're not going to be able to sin in there, right? You're going to have the mind of Christ and a glorified body, but are you guaranteed to just have a blissful time? I don't think so. Depending on how a man lives and depending on what a man does. And so blessed is the man that the Lord will not impute sin. I love that verse. He won't do it. He tells you that. And the Lord's not a man that he could lie. And so we can lean on that, right? We can lean on that firm foundation that the Lord's given us and say, you know what? I know for a fact that I'm going to heaven when I die. There's no way around that. You know, you bring that up and a lot of times you'll get pushback. People say, well, that's the most arrogant thing I've ever heard. It's not for you to decide. That's for God to decide. Yeah, you're right. God did decide it. He said it right here, right? He told me right here that I could know where I'm going when I die. So, I mean, it's, so I guess the other people think it's for them to decide that you have to work for it because God didn't tell me that, right? There was a time that they had to work for it. And, you know, you keep getting all this stuff that's saying you need to look forward to the cross and backwards to the cross. What does that mean? Right? The, the people in the old Testament were looking forward to the cross and the people now we're looking back to the cross. That's, that's not true at all. Right? We're looking to Jesus, yeah, because we know who Jesus is. We know what he's done for us. But you can't tell me that the people in the Old Testament knew exactly who Jesus was and what he was going to do for them and all that different stuff. They didn't know that, right? When Isaiah is sitting there writing, you know, 
and talking about how he was wounded for our transgressions, right? He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. He didn't know what he was talking about. They didn't always know that. You can see that in the book of Daniel. We don't have time to go through that, but you can see that Daniel didn't even understand what he was prophesying about and the Lord told him not to worry about it. It's sealed up until the time of the end. So, I mean, that's a, that's a totally ridiculous statement. And what that is, is that's making people think, oh, everybody's saved the same way throughout all time. That's not true, right? We're in a special time right now, right? A special time in the church age where you're saved by grace through faith without works. The only time in the history of the world that that's ever been the case, right? Roughly 2,000 years or so, right? The Lord's, I'm hoping we're on the tail end of this thing, right? And the Lord's coming back, you know? You can get into all the calendars and whether the calendars are right and all that stuff and what year we're in, but you know what I'm going to say? I'm just looking forward to him coming back like the Bible tells me to do. I don't know when he's coming for sure. I hope it's right now. I hope before I'm done here, we're out of here. That'd be a blessing to be able to see that and just to go. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to going. And, you know, when you've got all of these different preachers getting up and teaching all these different things, they are confusing everyone. They are confusing kids constantly. And nobody knows what to believe. When you go to witness these days, people tell you, well, how am I supposed to know what to believe? There's a hundred and however many different Bibles. Which one's the right one? You got to think about it. The devil has it set up to where the odds are stacked against them. You know, when I was a kid, I went to a church and they told me I had to do this and that and the other thing, but I don't believe that that's true. And then you're trying to convince them like, well, you know, they led you astray, but I'm not going to. How do you do that? Right. Without the Lord getting involved. That's a, it's a really tough thing. You know, the Lord has to get involved. Obviously the Holy Spirit has to get involved and do something there. That's the only way you're going to get through. But that's why eternal security and this stuff that we're talking about right now is so important because people get so confused over a simple subject, right? Like Martin Luther. I really like Martin Luther. You know, I might talk about Martin Luther too much, but I really do. I read a book about Martin Luther and I just like him. I just like his character. You know what I mean? He's like, you know what? I don't understand the book of James at all. I just don't get it, right? The book of Romans tell me the just shall live by faith. And then the book of James is telling me that I can lose my salvation. What do I do with those two things? What do I do? He said, I'd like to take a pen knife and cut the book of James out and cast it into the fire. It'd make more sense. But you know what he decided to do? He had enough sense to say, you know what? I know that the Lord showed me that the just shall live by faith. I know that he showed me that and I'm going to stand on it. And I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. So he didn't understand everything, but you know what? At least he had the guts to stand on it and to say, all right, Lord, that's what you said. That's how it is. And I don't, I don't need to understand everything. And that's us today. Knowledge, 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 need to know more. YouTube, Google, all that stuff. Google's a verb now. Just Google it. I say all the time, like that's not, that's not even a verb. Just Google it. It's, I mean, it's something that you just do, right? Um, forever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. The Bible calls it right. People just need more information and more. Sometimes you just don't need more information. Sometimes it's okay for me to not understand something in this book and say, you know what, Lord, I don't understand that, but I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust you because you say that's the way it is. It makes no sense to me. You know, if you want to show me, if you want to reveal it to me, that'd be wonderful. But I'm, I'm not going to worry about a lot of different things like that. You should study, right? Study to show thyself approved unto God a work and the needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We should do that. We should study. We should study out things like eternal security, right? Baptism, salvation, different subjects, right? Issues of the heart, things like that. Love, all those things. It's important for us to know those things, but it's equally important for us to realize that you're not going to know everything. The Bible says you see through a glass darkly. We're not going to see everything perfectly we're not going to see everything the way that the lord sees it we don't have the mind of christ yet one day we will and we'll understand the things the lord understands right and we'll see the things that he sees and and it'll make sense to us right but right now there's things that they just they don't make sense to me and that's okay that's okay it doesn't mean that the bible's wrong it doesn't mean that i have the right to question god you know and that's another thing that frustrates me through eternal security is people will say People get taught the wrong thing, and then they just question, well, is God even real? Is God there? Does God care? What, what, what does God think? Well, I mean, God thinks you're saved by grace through faith, right? 
But people can even see that and learn that and then go to a church for years and then decide to just, I don't believe in God. I'm going to be an atheist. God never manifested himself to me. Well, he's probably not going to. Right? It's an age of faith, right? The definition of faith isn't the things that you see, but the things that you don't. So if that's the definition of faith, why is God going to, you know, man, why is he going to work the same way that he worked in the Old Testament? He's not going to come here and part the sea for you. He's not going to do that. You have to believe on him by faith, right? That's going to change in the future, right? The rapture is going to happen and all that stuff. And then you're going to have the tribulation. And then Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. And they're going to have to live by faith and works. They can't just live by faith anymore because they'll be able to see him. They'll be there with him. They'll be going to, you know, Jerusalem and all that stuff. And you see, we're just in a really special time in a really special predicament. And I think that too many times we squander the opportunity that we're given. And it bothers me. And I talk about it a lot because it does bother me that we just squander and squander and squander. Like the Lord's given us an opportunity to do something that nobody else has that nobody else had that opportunity. You know what I mean? I mean, you can go out and you can tell somebody about Jesus Christ so they can accept him and it can change their whole entire eternity, their whole entire life, their kids' lives. Where would I be at if somebody would have never came and witnessed to me? I don't know. I honestly don't know where my kids would be at. I don't know. They probably wouldn't be being raised in a church. I can tell you that much. It's just one person, one thing, in one moment can change an entire, I mean, many people's lives, an entire family. It can change their kids' lives, depending on if the Lord tarries or not. And I think that a lot of times we don't look at the big picture. We don't look at it like, like, oh yeah, I'm saved. I know where I'm going. There ain't no doubt about it. But do they? Right? They're on their way to a devil's hell. Do we care? Do we care enough to speak up and say something to them? It might be embarrassing. I might get in trouble at work. Well, who cares? Who cares about that stuff? It's small. <coughs> Sorry. It's small when it comes to that. It's a small thing. And um, the big picture is where are you going to go? Heaven or hell? That's the first decision. That's the first big thing. And you know, it bothers me when I sit there at work and I talk to different people and I just think about it. I just think like, they're not a bad person, right? They're not. They're just trying to get through life, but they don't have a clue. They are just lost as the day is long and they don't have a clue. They don't know. They look at me all the time. Well, why do you have a Bible on your desk? Do you really believe that? You know, are you, I mean, really, do you believe that? Yeah, I believe that. Why wouldn't I? Well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, have you ever looked into it? Have you ever done a study? Do a study on the prophecy through the Bible and tell me that you don't believe it when you get done with it. Right? The stuff that that Bible can do is incredible. The stuff that the Lord can tell you about the future is incredible. The stuff that he's already told you about the future that's came to pass that you can vividly see is incredible. How could I look at that and say, nah, I don't, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in this book. I don't believe that God is real. Right? I would have to blatantly go against him. But you see, the reason that people end up this way is because they are taught the wrong stuff. Like I said, they're taught to look forward to the cross and backwards to the cross. That sounds nice. That's a cute saying. And you know, but it's not right. It's just not, you know, I went to a, and I'm not trying to bash a bunch of other religions. Don't take it that way. I went down to, when I was down in Texas, we went to a bunch of different cities in Texas. We were passing out tracks and witnessing to people and doing some stuff down there. And I was in San Antonio, Texas, and we were like going through <clears throat> kind of by the, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I've been kind of sick here recently, but we were going through the Alamo, like not that, yeah, the Alamo area there. And, uh, we were like walking down the street and there was this little Catholic church and it was like, Hey, they're going to have a mass here. So the guys that I'm with were like, Hey, do you want to go? And I was like, not really. And they were like, why not? Why wouldn't you want to go? I'm like, I don't know. It just kind of gives me the heebie jeebies a little bit. You know what I mean? Sitting in there. I know it's not right. Like, why would I do that? And then they're like, come on, just do it. And I was sitting there thinking about it. And then it kind of felt like the Lord wanted me to do it. Just, just do it. Just go, just go in there and check it out. Like, All right. So I went in there and I sat in the back and all these women come in and they have black veils over their face and they all come around and they get seated. And in front of their seat, there's this little bench that you can, I guess you for kneeling on. And I'm looking at that thing thinking, what in the world is this for? I'm sitting there thinking about it. And I'm like, man, come on, you can figure this out. Right. Surely. And I'm sitting there looking at that. I'm like, I have no idea what that's for. And this lady comes up and she sits in front of me and she kneels down on that thing and she starts to pray and she's crying while she's praying. Right. Begging, just, just begging, just begging God to forgive her and, 
you know, all these different stuff. And it, it actually broke my heart. I started to, you know, have a tear run down my face and I'm sitting there thinking about it. And I'm thinking these poor, all this whole building's full of people. They have no idea where they're going when they die. They have no idea. They don't know what's going to happen to them. And you know why they're here? They're here hoping that they can just earn their way there. They're here hoping that that priest is telling them by taking that wafer that they're going to make it to heaven. That's what they're banking on. He ain't preaching Jesus Christ. He's up there telling them, right? Transubstantiation. He's up there saying that he's commanding that the body of Jesus Christ comes down and be crucified afresh so that we can have his physical flesh and his blood. What is that? It's wicked, right? It's wicked. It's, it's, it's weird. They will tell you that no, it's his actual flesh and actual blood. The Bible's like, well, where in the Bible is that all right? Right? The Bible tells you to abstain from blood over and over and over again, but they say like, oh, this is the actual thing. And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this priest, this priest talk. I can barely understand him because he has such a thick accent and I'm sitting there listening to him. I think it was in English for the most part. And I'm listening to him and I'm watching what he's doing and he's going around doing all the different incense stuff and he's kneeling down and he's doing this and that. And I'm looking around and there's all these portraits on the wall and sitting there thinking about it and just looking at these people. And then pretty soon he gets done and he walks out to the aisle and these people, they all start getting up and they go down and they kneel down in front of him on their knees. And he takes the wafer and he puts it on their tongue like that and they swallow it. Right. Thank you, father. And I'm thinking the Bible says we call no man father. I wonder why are they doing that? I'm sitting there thinking about it and I watched the whole thing get over with. And, um, you know, it's like, they're, they're going out and <clears throat> one of the guys that I was with did something kind of foolish. I don't even really need to talk about it, but he kind of made a scene or whatever. And he ruined the, uh, you know, the opportunity for us to witness, right? Witness to him. And the priest comes into the back to me and he says, are you with them? And I said, yeah, you know, <laughs> kind of like, yeah. And he's like, well, <clears throat> you know, I don't care if you guys come in here, you know, but you know, you can't be disrupting what we're doing. I said, Hey, I, I'm not trying to disrespect what you're doing, but I said, I'm just in here. I'm curious. I've never been to a Catholic service before, but I was like, you know, one of the things that I noticed is, is that you guys have no hope. You have no hope. So do you have any idea where you're going when you die? Cause I do. And he said, no, oh, don't give me all that. You know, I don't want to hear that. And I said, no, I'm trying to help you. I'm serious. Do you have any idea? And he got all up in arms and he rushed me out of there. But what's the point? The point is, is it was one of the saddest things I've ever seen. I'm talking old women, 80 year old women, probably walking in there, broken, tired, lived their whole life, probably a good person, right? Tried to do right. And if they don't get saved, they're going to be on a way to devil's hell. They're going to wake up in hell. And it bothered me. And I was like, you know what, Lord? Thank you for getting me in there. Thank you for letting me see that. Thank you for helping me to have a heart for other people. You know, because a lot of times we sit around and we say they're wrong and they don't do this and bless God, they ought to. That's not, I mean, there's a place for certain things, but we ought to care about them. We ought to care about what's going to happen to them people. It ought to matter. You know, and I don't know if I've ever um, give this illustration here. If I have, I apologize. But, you know, there was a, you know, I heard a story one time and there was two cars driving down the road and one car is driving down the road and the other car is right behind the other car and you can see the taillights and all of a sudden the taillights disappear. And so the guy behind him slams on his brakes and stops and nothing, you know, he can't see the car in front of him at all. It's really dark and he can't see it. And so, he gets out and starts, he starts walking up further and walking up further. And what happened is, is the car started to drive onto a bridge and the bridge collapsed and the car disappeared. And so what he does is he gets out flares and everything and he sets them up and he's standing there and he's waving and jumping up and down, you know, please don't, you know, don't go forward telling people don't go forward, don't drive in there. You're going to fall into a horrible pit. You'll die. You'll go in there. And I was thinking about that and I was looking at that and I was thinking that's a perfect example of what a man will do to save another man's life right? They're worried about that. That's acceptable for me to do that, but it's not acceptable in society for me to tell somebody about Jesus Christ to keep them out of hell. You see, that's how much we ought to care about somebody's soul that we're willing to look any kind of way, do any kind of thing in order to see him go to heaven. We ought to care. We really should. We ought to speak up more. You know, there's always going to be another job. You know what I mean? I've never not had a job in my entire life. There's always going to be a job. And if you lose it, the Lord will take care of you. The Lord will bless you. The Lord's good. And uh, let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, before I get too carried away. 
But I mean, just thinking about that and you know, it, it, it just bothers me. You know, I was thinking about that today, just sitting at work and just watching people, just talking to people, interacting with people and just thinking like, man, like I didn't know once I didn't have a clue. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was being a good person and you know, I, you know, I, like I've told you before, I grew up in a cult and different stuff and I was taught that there had to be a special man that was going to come and I'd get baptized. And that way if I, I had to be baptized to go to heaven is what they told me. And if I was good and all that different kind of stuff, I'd end up in heaven. And I thought, well, I'm just going to do the best I can to live the best I can live. Right. And hope for the best, but there's no, there's no satisfaction in that. Right. There's no security in that. Right. That's why I like to call it eternal security. Cause you're eternally secure. You don't have to sit around and worry all the time. I used to sit around and fret and worry and think like, man, like what happens? What happens if I do make a mistake? What happens if I don't do the right thing? What happens if I, you know, what, what's going to happen if I have a moment of weakness, what's going to happen? And you know, and I'd sit there and I'd read through the book of Matthew and I'd look at it and I'd say, I already know that I'm not good enough. I mean, he may, Jesus Christ makes it clear enough right here in Matthew that I'm not good enough. I don't even have to get through more than one book in the new Testament to figure that out, but you don't have an answer. Well, they don't have an answer either. They don't have an answer either. And I'm trying to get off this point, but the Lord just keeps bringing it to mind. But it's something we need to be thinking about. Look into Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And it says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And so Ephesians chapter two, verse one, he quickened us. We were spiritually dead and then we were made alive. Let's look at Romans chapter seven, verse nine, Romans chapter seven, verse nine. And I'm probably going to hit on something else that's fairly common too, that I think is pretty horrible. Romans chapter seven, verse nine, it says, for I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died in the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. What's he saying there? For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. There's something to that with Paul. And, you know, I had a kind of the background of what I'm about to say is I was preaching at the nursing home the other day, and I was sitting down and I was talking to a bunch of old ladies and uh, funny enough, I was talking to them about eternal security, right? And <clears throat> I'm sitting there talking to her and we're going over some things. And she said, you know, I was 18 years old. This old lady tells me she's like 85 now. She said, I was 18 years old. And she said, I had a bunch of, a couple of Seventh-day Adventists. They came and they knocked on my door and they were talking to me. And she said, not but five days earlier, I was in the hospital with my first baby. I was 18 years old. And I had the baby and he didn't make it. He died. He was born. He wasn't still born. He was born and he just didn't make it. He wasn't healthy. And she said, and those Seventh-day Adventists, they came and they knocked on my door and I told them what I was going through and they told me that my baby was in hell. They told me that because I didn't follow all the things, that all the heebie-jeebie stuff that they follow, that, you know, my baby's in hell. And she said, what do you think about that? And I was like, well... <clears throat> we were going through some of this stuff and I was like, well, Paul says that he was alive once, right? And when commandment came, sin revived and I died. I said, if you think about it, if you go back and you look in the old Testament, when the children of Israel are about ready to enter the promised land, God doesn't let them enter the promised land, right? Because of unbelief, right? The giants are in the land and they're terrified. They wouldn't go. So he says, you're going to wander for 40 years. But a lot of times what's missed is that Caleb and Joshua were there. They wandered for 40 years, right? They were old when it became time to go into the promised land, right? But the Lord doesn't take their parents' sin that they made and put it on their account, right? The Lord tells them that they weren't at the age of accountability, right? They didn't understand that between the difference between the knowledge of good and evil. There becomes a time in a child's life where they understand the difference between the knowledge of good and evil. I've seen that in every single one of my children. There becomes a time when it snaps in their mind, like I'm sinning, there's a God and I'm sinning against a holy God. And I recognize that, right? I had one of my daughters, she came to me and she said, dad, I, I lied. And I just, it's, I just can't, 
It's driving me crazy. And I know God says I shouldn't lie. And you know what happens to me in my mind? She needs to get saved, right? She's getting to that age. So what did the Lord do for you? Well, he died on the cross for me. Okay. Well, what does that mean to you? I'm not saying to push them, make them get saved, but talk to them about it, right? Work on that thing. But my point is, is that Joshua and Caleb, they still entered the promised land, right? Because they weren't at that age yet. So you're telling me a baby is any different? No, the baby's not any different. And I told her she, you know, it turned this poor woman off of things, you know, because if I was to, if I tell, if you were to tell, if I was to stand up here at a pulpit and tell a mother, you know, that has a one and a half year old, my son's one and a half years old. If I was to stand up here and tell my wife that at the time of the rapture, she's going to go and her baby's going to stay here alone and suffer. How's she going to look forward to the rapture? How's she going to look forward to that glorious appearing? How's she going to look forward to that? The Lord's not, that's not God, right? God's not going to send a child to hell that is helpless, right? God's not going to do stuff like that. They haven't, they haven't grown enough to realize that they're even sinning against God. And so that's a horrible thing, you know, and that really bothered that, that poor old lady. It really bothered her, you know, and I started talking to her more about stuff and we started going through eternal security and she said, you know, I've been a Mormon my whole life. And she said, I've never understood. I just have never been told this stuff before. I've never understood any of this stuff before ever in my entire life until right now. She said, so you mean to tell me that I don't have to be baptized? And I said, not according to the Bible, right? Took her to Peter over there and showed her, right? It's a like figure. You don't got to be baptized to go to heaven. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you need to believe on Jesus Christ through faith. That's what it says. That's not, that's the only thing you have to do, right? You get baptized to, you know, say, hey, I, you know, I'm dead and buried with Christ, right? And I identify with him and all that different stuff. But it's not for salvation. That's the kind of stuff that it creates. 85 years old. Just sitting there not knowing what's going to happen to her entire life. Sitting in a nursing home alone. Not knowing what's going on. And then you have people that tell me, well, I can't go to a nursing home. It doesn't smell good enough in there. Like, what is wrong with you? It doesn't smell. It smells bad in there. Who cares what it smells like in there? It smells awful in there. Everybody knows that. But you know what? They need our help, right? The reason, and I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to make America great again or anything of that sort. What I'm going to say is, though, is that if we don't do anything, more and more people are going to go to hell. But if we would speak up and we would stand up and we would talk about these things and we would teach these things and we would do what we ought to do, less people would, right? The world's going to get worse and worse. The Bible tells us that. There's nothing we're going to do to change that, right? But what we can do is we can do our part. We can do the best we can to live our lives for the Lord. Um, we can do the best for the one that bought us. You know, he deserves that much. He deserves for us to love him like he loves us. He deserves that. You know what I mean? He absolutely deserves that. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. You say, what does this have to do with eternal security? I don't know, but I feel like the Lord wants me to go over here, so that's where we're going to go. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's okay if people think you're weird. That's what God, God's okay with that, right? You shouldn't fit in. You shouldn't. People strive to fit in. I want to be like everybody else. Why? They're crazy. Look at them. They don't even know there's only two genders, right? There's hundreds. There's all this non-binary. What is that? You know what I mean? You go through all this different stuff. They don't know anything. They are confused. And we, you know what I mean? For the most part, I hope, you know, us as Christians, born again Christians, we aren't, right? We see things for what they are. We see God for what he is. We see male and female for what they are. And they need our help. You know what I mean? People look at it like, oh, we're under attack. Yeah, in a sense. But you know what? They don't know any better. They don't know. But we do know. We do. And, you know, the Bible tells us to be wise as a serpent and harmless as a dove. I'm not saying to go out there and beat everybody over the head with the Bible and tell them you're right and they're wrong. That's not the right way to handle it either. 
You know what I mean? You can handle it with some grace. You can do that, especially at work, right? In situations where you're going to be able to talk to somebody for a length of time, right? But you know what you'll notice? What you'll notice is if you're doing right and you're living right and you're trying to do something for the Lord and you're in a workplace like that, when somebody has a problem, they will come to you. It will happen. They will come to you and they will be like, hey, what do you think I should do here? And then you're like, well, why are you asking me that question? What, what do you think I should do? I know you go to church. What do you think I should do here? What, what does the Bible say about this, right? And it opens a door. It opens a door to talk to somebody, Right? It opens the door when you have a, you know, I had a coworker not too long ago and his wife is going to have a baby and he was all worried about it. And I told him, I said, you know, I've had, we've had four of them, you know, two times it didn't go the best and two times it did. And I said, but I just trust the Lord with it. Just pray, trust him. And he said, oh, well, we'll be praying. And I said, okay. He said, and I kept Lent this year. And I said, oh, good for you. That's good. And then he texted me and he said, hey. The baby's in the, the NICU. Things didn't, you know, didn't go so well, and she's not, you know, real healthy. And I'm kind of worried. And I said, well, I'll be praying for you. You know, if we can bring you anything to eat or do anything for you, let me know. Come visit or anything that would help you out and make you more comfortable. You say, what is that? That's working with people. That's talking to people. That is trying to build a relationship with people to where that they will think like they genuinely care about what's going on with me. They genuinely care about how I feel. And that's how you, that's how we can reach people, right? You get that conversation, then the Lord will open a door and the Holy Spirit comes into that whole thing and does a work and people get saved and their whole eternity turns around their whole eternity. A lot of times I think we lose sight of, and I'll be done in a minute here. A lot of times I think we lose sight of what the Lord did for us, right? I think a lot of times it's important for us to kind of get our minds and ourselves back to Calvary, right? Where it all began and Start thinking about something other than ourselves. You know, I'm not the one that matters. You're not the one that matters, right? Going out and doing something for the Lord is a small sacrifice. It's a privilege, honestly. You know what I mean? I shouldn't even call it a sacrifice, honestly, but it's a privilege to be able to go out and do something for the Lord. You're not worthy of it. Neither am I. Nobody is. None of us are worthy about for any of it. But the Lord's allowed us to do it. It's an amazing thing to me that the Lord says, I'm going to save you and I'm going to do everything for you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to give you eternal life. I'm going to bless you with gifts. I'm going to give you gifts to serve me. And you know what? In return, I'm going to give you some more stuff. I'll bless you with the judgment seat of Christ, right? I'll give you a crown of righteousness, a crown of rejoicing. Why is that? Why does he do that? He doesn't have to do that. He's already given us plenty, but if you'll serve me, I'll give you more. That's a God I'm interested in serving. That's a God that cares, you know, and that loves us. And Jesus Christ, you know, you you go through history and you have Muhammad and, you know, all these other so-called deities, right? That's what they call themselves. And none of them died for anybody that followed them. I can tell you that much, right? You know, you had Buddha. He ate so much his own children starved to death. You know, I don't think that that's, you know, you see, what I'm trying to say is, is that Jesus Christ loves you. He loves me. And he wants us to do something for him. So don't waste any more time. You know what I'm saying? Just do it. If there's somebody you've been wanting to witness to, just open your mouth and do it. Just talk to them. Because there comes a point where they won't be around anymore. And that's happened to me before. And it still bothers me. I had an uncle that I wanted to talk to. And I knew how he was going to react and I knew it wasn't going to be good. And I was kind of going back and forth with it. And I was like, man, I ought to talk to him. And I didn't do it. And he died. And I think, yeah, you blew it. Right. You had an opportunity. Right. Now, I'm going to, I know for a fact, I'm going to have to go to the judgment seat of Christ and the blood's going to be on my hand. I should have said something to him. Should have called him. I could have. He'd have talked to me, but I didn't do it. So don't do that. Don't make that mistake. You don't want to have that on your conscience. You don't want to be thinking about that kind of stuff. Just do it. Just go. Speak up. The worst that could happen is somebody could kill you. To live as Christ and to die as gain, right? Amen. Don't worry about that kind of stuff. We don't need to, right? A Christian, once a Christian realizes that they can live for the Lord fully 
and do something for them and not have to worry about whether they live or whether they die. That's where they get all of a sudden you get getting some power. Right? You see Paul? Once Paul started to realize, like, listen, it doesn't matter. I mean, I'd rather die and be with the Lord. Like, I mean, you see some things really ramping up in his life. Right? He was bold before, but I mean, you're talking about real boldness and stuff in that because he knows. He knows where he's going. We know. So spend some time with the Lord. Right? Get some boldness. And uh, go out and try to help some other people. But that's what I have on eternal security. So, you know, our inheritance is reserved, incorruptible. It's awesome. In, in the right sense of the word, right? People abuse that word all the time anymore. Everything's awesome. Like, it's really not. Are you, like, standing there in awe? Like, oh, that's really awesome. Like, no, they don't. So just be thinking about that throughout the week. That's what I have for you. But let's pray, and then we'll close here. Uh, Father, I do thank you once again, God, to be able to open your book. Lord, thank you for allowing us to have your book, Father. And I thank you for just being so good to us, Lord. Each and every individual in here, Lord, you've done something for. And so, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for loving us. And thank you for saving us, Lord. And just just thinking about us, Father. And I, I just pray that you'd matter to us, Lord, as much as we matter to you. Father, that we might have our hearts and our minds fixed on you, Father. And just be thinking about what you would want, Lord. Just for, you know... And not just what we want. And, Lord, we're terrible about that. And so, Father, I just pray that you'd help us all now, Lord, to just think about you, Lord, to remember, God, that to live as Christ and to die as gain, Father, and to quit being so fearful and open up our mouths and say something for you, Lord. But I pray that you'd help eternal security to sink in, Lord, in each and everybody's minds and hearts and help everybody to realize, Lord, that we are eternal secure and it's okay to stand on that. Father, and just to study it out, to think about it, Lord, to be able to help and to teach others. And Lord, it's just an amazing thing, Lord, that I can know where I'm going, Father. I still can't get over it. Lord, I do thank you for it. I pray you'd bless everybody that came tonight, Father. I pray you to keep them safe on their way home. And I do love you and I do thank you. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.